Hey there, I'm Sherry Fitz from Shoe Fitz Marketing, and we're talking about how to outcare the competition. And you're listening to the Brand Journalism Advantage. Episode 421. People who are driving, driving, driving towards success, it's transparent that they mostly care about themselves. The Brand Journalism Advantage, the podcast that teaches the power of storytelling to increase business by attracting, engaging, and influencing consumers. Now, it's time to think like a journalist with your host, brand journalist, Phoebe Changchua. Hello, brand journalism community. I'm Phoebe Changchua. Thanks for tuning into the Brand Journalism Advantage podcast. Here we go with the inside scoop on today's show, Sherry Fitz. She is not only a financial influencer, but also a popular marketing and social media speaker. When Sherry Fitz was just five years old, she started selling her very own homemade rose petal perfume in baby food jars door to door. Today, Sherry infuses Shoe Fitz educational programs, marketing packages, and speaking engagements with plenty of that early entrepreneurial flair. She debuted in the financial services industry as an award-winning graphic designer, progressed curriculum design and advanced to sales and marketing before stepping out on her own as a consultant, speaker, and author. Welcome to the show. How are you? I am swell. It's great to talk to you. Well, good morning. Is, good good morning. day. Yes. Beautiful day. We've got um, the Portland-San Diego connection going on, Brand Journalism community. And uh, Sherry was just telling me at the time of the taping of this episode that the weather is much like San Diego. So lucky you, right? Indeed. Well, it, it, Portland's known for rain, and I'm just going to keep saying that. It rains here all the time. <laughs> Don't come. It rains That's here all right. the time. It, it is a beautiful place, I've heard. Love to, to make it out that way a little more. I have, I've only been there just a bit. But uh, Brand Journalism Community, we, we're not just talking about the weather in this episode. We've got an important, powerful, packed episode. Here's what we're talking about. How to outcare the competition. And you know, Sherry, I was thinking about this because I, I'm trying to remember, oh, maybe it was a restaurant I was at. And I just thought, wow, the service really sucks. And, and, you know, it's because a lot of times people don't care. And this was a restaurant that should not have sucky service. You know, it, it should be good because it was a higher end restaurant that I frequent a lot and was really surprised. Um, even things like the lighting of the restaurant, and I'm not being, you know, look, I'm not here to nitpick at a restaurant, but I go there quite a bit. And then, um, like I said, higher end restaurant, I'm not going to name it this time. Um, but the lighting at, at night was extremely light compared to how it normally is. You know, it was mm-hmm. almost like it was just an off night. And it's things like that, that to me are representative of whoever is managing at that time and how much care they put into it. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, exactly. And it, what's interesting to me about this is it it doesn't have to be that difficult. It I would say that the situation is is somebody forgot to look around. Absolutely. Uh, it, and and I see it happening regularly restaurants golly clothing stores wherever we go events gas stations yeah. we still we still people still pump our gas here in Oregon for a while. But <laughs> it's just little, little tiny things that 
add up to an experience. And sometimes I was out at dinner on Saturday night. There's a really cool coffee roaster here in Portland that's only open on Saturday and Sundays. And then the, a young couple just bought the place and they're changing some things around, which I think is fantastic. And one of the things that they're doing is these pop-up restaurants, right? And and so we've been to it twice. Really great chef from Mexico, from Mexico City, actually. First time we went there was kind of a more plated thing. And then this last time was more of a community thing. Both were excellent, except for that it took them, to your point, about halfway through the night to ratchet the lights down a little bit. I felt like I was in a cafeteria. Yeah, that I mean, this was almost like a conference room. And it wasn't just that, because I, I started off by saying the service. So when the server came up, um, one of the first things she said was, she, she wasn't new exactly, but she said, I only work here once a week, so it's like every night's my first night. <laughs> and I, oh, you know, I, I just feel went, good about that right, right now. <laughs> right, exactly. I'm thinking, um, okay. And we'd already made it clear that we dine there quite frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, normally very nice place. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking, okay, so every night's your first night. And, and why would you ever tell us that? <laughs> It was the most bizarre thing. So it just went downhill from there. Now, that being said, will I go back? Yes, because I've been there before. So I'm thinking that it was an off night for them. I'll give them that. Um, Mm -hmm. But they probably could use this episode, Brand Journalism Community, all about out carrying the competition. You've got to do this. You've got to care more. And it will reflect in your business. So we're going to unpack those tips as we go through. Or Sherry's going to do that for us. And I know she's got some excellent pointers. But I love the icebreaker because, well, I, I shouldn't say I love it. I'm just more puzzled, like how you could have done this. She writes that she broke her front teeth twice. <laughs> What? <laughs> As if once wasn't enough. <laughs> I know. So the first time, way back when, uh, remember when you were little and you had those swing sets where they had the kind oh, of yeah. the seats facing each other and you could grab on the back and put your feet on the back and kind of be on the backside? Well, right. I was doing that with my brother. I think I was four, five, or six, somewhere in that kindergarten thing. And my brother stood up and let go and it went smack right into my Ooh. front teeth. And uh, so that was then. And then flash forward to, and I again, I don't know how, um, but flash forward to being kind of like a sophomore or junior in high school and I was swimming and somehow I ran into a boat. Oh. <laughs> now, now, here's the thing. This is genetic. But with your teeth? <laughs> I know. <laughs> what? <laughs> I know. This, this is genetic. All of my siblings, there's four of us, we've all busted our front teeth. Now, I did it twice because I like to outperform, but, um, <laughs> right? Yeah. Front teeth. Uh-huh. Twice. Wow. <laughs> wow. Interesting. All right. Well, I, <laughs> let's hope that's the end of that. Yeah, exactly. I'm very careful when walking on ice now. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bet. All right. I have um, a quote that I, uh, I just love, and um, I think it's perfect for this episode. I want to get your feedback on it. It goes like this. It's by Albert Einstein. Strive not to be a success, but rather to be of value. I, I think in this really hyper-connected world that we live in, I think that people who are driving, driving, driving towards success it's transparent that they mostly care about themselves. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and in, you know, in my world of marketing and branding and all of that kind of thing, I think, and even when I speak, I, I, I regularly work to try to figure out how am I going to give people enough of what they need and, and what am I going to give them and the how and am I going to be of value to them and how am I going to serve them? And when I actually started thinking about that from that perspective to be of value versus to, you know, knock it out of the park from a speaking perspective, what was amazing to me is, is that my, my whole speaking changed the ratings that I got as a speaker changed. They increased because I was more worried about the audience versus being worried about myself. Yeah, good point. And I think you're really right about that. It is transparent because, you know, it's just like a salesperson trying to close that sale. And you can tell you're not looking at what really is important to me. You just want to close the sale. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you have an interesting background with um, being in the financial world. And I know you were sharing offline before we jumped on this call, um, a little bit of information about how you worked out here in San Diego and then moved it. Well, first of all, selling at the age of five, I just don't even know what to think about that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dating all the way back to then and and your rose petal perfume. Love to hear a little bit more about that at some point, but take us into your past a little bit, fill in any blanks, and then move us forward to a time that you would say is your career highlight. What's that story? So I, you know, I think there's a couple of things. One, I have to thank my father for this. I have a natural inclination with computers and, and that kind of that world. And I managed to attach myself to them fairly early in the whole computing world. So we'll say around the late 80s, early 90s. I wasn't afraid of them. And I, I ended up sitting in front of a computer doing graphic design. And I didn't want to do just desktop publishing. That was yucky. And so I pushed myself to learn more about graphic design. I don't, I'm not formally educated. And fast forward, I, I kind of became a graphic designer for a financial services firm. And I created products. And one day, we didn't have a salesperson. And I looked around, I was kind of this like default leader of this creative team. And I thought to myself, if, if, if I don't sell, we're not going to have jobs. And so how I really got into marketing was that I had a sales goal. So I've always kind of done sales and marketing together. And I feel like I'm a better salesperson because I know marketing and I'm a much better marketing person because I know about sales and the sales culture and sales conversations. So kind of fast forward from that, I've worked in a variety of capacities in the financial services world, which I will say is, is still very male dominated, but I got away with a lot because I have you know, one, I'm from Portland, kind of a hippie, kind of creative. So I think that was fantastic for me to be able to be given a little bit of leeway in such a linear world. I've always been this right brain thinker in this linear world and, I, and I've learned how to communicate in that place. But, but kind of fast forward, one of the things that I found after being in that world for so long, I really had to put my armor on some days and almost every day in this kind of political kind of world of financial services. And so I finally was done. I received my AARP card in the mail and I kept saying to myself, when I grow up, I want to be a speaker and do my own thing. And I, and I thought to myself, well, 
you you've got your AARP card. You're you're pretty grown up. So I I finally got the chutzpah to actually leave corporate America. I did it on purpose. I planned it. I did it. And holy criminy, it was scary. And I'll say it still is. It doesn't it, it it's fun. I love it. It's my hobby. I it's um being on your own is is refreshing and frightening and all those kind of things. And I guess, you know, I like all of those feelings associated with it. A couple of years ago, though, I think I finally started paying more attention to what I love to do and what I didn't love to do. And it was a really kind of hard point at, at Shoe Fits Marketing. I used to have a full creative team and an office and cool Asian lamps and, you know, cool brown walls to go with our by brand and everything. And I looked around and it was just as noisy as if I was in corporate America. And it was just as stressful. And so I pivoted. You know, that's kind of a cliche, but I did. I pivoted and I actually let let go of my team. Um, I got rid of my office. I doubled down on focusing on what I love to do, which is speaking and writing and training. Um, and uh, it was, I mean I, I mean, I remember driving by my old office with my husband crying. And this was two, two years ago. Um, but I knew I was doing the right thing because I left, (laughs) I left corporate America for a reason. I started my own thing for a reason and, and I needed to kind of continue to serve that. So on the other side of it, it, it's great going through it was kind of (laughs) wah, right? Yeah, exactly. So Let's talk about that moment. I mean, you, you kind of touched on it a little bit when you're saying going through this is, is just really scary and, you know, all the things that go on when you leave a corporate job. I had one, too, when I was in broadcast television news um, and left that, went out on my own. And then suddenly you find you're just kind of making up all the own your own rules. You know, I mean, there's not necessarily a blueprint for this, um, even though there are other people doing it there's so many things that are different and every client works in a different way and has different needs. So you start to learn a lot about yourself and how creative you can be and how much you can handle. Share with us a story about when you were struggling, when it really wasn't working, maybe this was after you've left or another time, but take us to that moment in time and share the moment of when it didn't work. What'd you do to turn things around? Well, I would say that that probably was just before, as I say, I blew shoe fits up in a way that pivot when, when I, um, the, the thing about being a sole proprietor or about being a business owner is, is you have to manage the business and you have to sell and then you have to execute. So, so you've got, and there's a, there's a book about this that escapes me right now, but I think what happened for me is, is that the year prior to me blowing shoe fits up, we were extraordinarily busy and quite successful. And what happened was that I got my eye and my heart all wrapped around the projects and neglected the, the understanding that the sales cycle in much of the work and much of the working world can be six months to a year. Mm-hmm. And so what happened was it went the year changed and, and I mean, it was just like the water, you know, faucet just turned off and, um, uh, being responsible for other people and other people's income, livelihood, in addition to my own, it, it, it was a gut wrenching 
I, I mean, I can't even describe it of waking up and feeling so much doubt and then, and then just needing to kind of continue to tell myself that I've, you know, I've dealt with hard things before. I can deal with hard things now. And what I need to do is just kind of start doing what I know needs to be done, which is pick up the fracking phone and start selling. Um, which is really, you know, when you're in this place of being, it's doubt and a little bit of dark and it's rainy and crappy in Portland and you probably yeah, don't have it, enough it's hard to do. vitamin D, right? It, and, uh, but I just did, I just, I just did, which, um, yeah, you, ha you, you know, you just, so at that time, yeah. go a little deeper there. Mm -hmm. What happened? You picked up the phone, you started selling, right? I mean, is that that where well, you went I, with it or what happened? Yeah, I, I, I made myself like a, I, I, I made a goal of that. I want to have just three sales conversations a week. I didn't like go crazy and, and desperate because I feel like that desperation could kind of eke out a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, and, and so I made a goal of three sales conversations a week. One of the other things though that I do, Phoebe, is I totally, the first thing I do every morning is walk. The last thing I wanted to do every morning was walk. The first thing I did every morning was walk because I didn't feel like I had time to do that. I felt like I had to kind of be up and going and going and going. And um, I, I knew that I needed to kind of keep taking care of myself physically because that would serve me emotionally. And to pick up the phone, you know, it's not hard. Um, <laughs> I'm sitting here right now. I am staring at my lucky cold call ring. So I have to, right? So I have a plastic, fabulous, pink, sparkly diamond that's about the size of a quarter that when I make those calls, I put on my lucky cold call ring. It's like everything I can do, everything I can do to kind of muster up the courage to do what I need to do. You know, what I really like about what you said is you keep doing what you didn't really feel like doing, and that included physical exercise and that stimulates things. And I, I know I've been there where you just think, I can't, I don't have time for this because I have to get on these other things. I still have to work on these other projects, but I have to bring in new business. It's a challenge, but you have to take care of yourself in that way too. Um, mm -hmm. And that's important. And to me, that all ties back to how you out care the competition because you care first about yourself and therefore have the ability to then care about others. So let's go through and take us um, through your top tips on how to out care the competition. Where do we begin? Well, I think the one thing, and you kind of brought this up, which is, is that how can you step outside of your normal world and look at it from the perspective of somebody coming in for the first time or 53rd time. And, and so to, and, and I, and I think that every business owner, every individual, every opportunity to be able to see where you touch people and how you touch people uh, and almost like audit those. So the first thing that I would do is audit even one client experience. Or, you know, if you're internal, as an example, even one internal customer experience, just one, it could be even as simple as somebody requests something from you. What does that look like? Um, and how do you do that? Or how do you say thank you? Or how do you say no, thank you? Just do audit one thing, not like 95 million, one thing and see what you can do to make it surprising or different. So that's, that's one thing. I think the other thing is, is that um, 
pay attention when you're other places, what you find surprising or unique. I'm a big fan of Joe Malone. Do you know Joe Malone? Uh, yes. What's, what's funny is my favorite Joe Malone is their rose oil. It's <laughs> just <laughs> <laughs> like, no wonder. <laughs> no wonder I like them. Yes. But, but what, what helps me is if I, if I can't think about how I'm going to shift some experience, sometimes I just pay attention to how I experience things and I try to copy or I try to take something as an example, Joe Malone, when they give you your perfume or your oil or even whatever, they do two things. One, they wrap it up like a gift. And two, they always include little treats in it. Like even, you know, like a little sampler. But I, I, so I try to look at other experiences that I'm having elsewhere and how can I bring those ideas into my business or, you know, what I'm doing <clears throat> as an example I, what does my shoe fits welcome kit look like when somebody comes, becomes a new client, what does that look like? And sometimes I'm like, well, I don't really know. Da da da. And then I look at Joe Malone or there's a really great Colonel, Colonel Littleton is another very interesting brand. It's kind of down South. It's a leather brand anyway. So audit one thing, look elsewhere and then know that people like consistency that's really important. People like consistency and then people like something different. In the world of graphic design, the way that graphic design works is, is that you lay down this framework that usually you follow that day in and day out. It's like a foundation or a blueprint. But in order to create something unique visually, you bust out of that rule. So I was listening to a great book today and I can't recall who the quote was from, but it was something such as consistency makes us feel comfortable and something surprising delights us. Really good. So I love the part where you're talking about auditing your experiences because that to me is where it all falls apart. <laughs> I think, you know, if more brands were auditing their client experiences they and doing it Honestly, you know, really, in, in, as opposed to just kind of glossing over and going, oh, it all looks right, it, you know, it's fine. Um, but really looking at it, they would know, just like how we started the show talking about, you know, a server telling you when you sit down at a high-end restaurant and they say, well, it's my first time, <laughs> or it's like my first time here because I don't work that often. Um, that just should not be said. And, you know, I don't know how that would ever occur to somebody, you know, as a server um, to, to think that that's going to go over well and make me feel comfortable. You know, so mm -hmm. I think you you have to look at those experiences and see what's going on and maybe even shadow or stand nearby or something so you can see the reaction is, you know, both of us looked at each other and went, huh, okay, <laughs> not comfortable with that. So auditing your client experience is really, really important, but to do it openly and honestly. Mm -hmm. And and I think um, the the challenging piece is that we don't necessarily make space for that, which is why I'm suggesting that we just just test out one. Yeah. It, like, how do you, really truly like how do you say thank you or how do you say welcome? The other thing though that comes across to me and and this isn't particularly for people who are in leadership positions, how do you allow your teams to uh, surprise people? What? How do you let them create unique? experiences for people that 
um, but how do you give them a little bit of leeway in order to let their, their kind of personality kind of shine? So as an example, when I, there's a, there's a firm, there, there, are, there are all these kind of geeky kind of firms in the financial services world, but these people mostly day to day are working with HR professionals on a daily basis, trying to figure out what's going on with 401k plans. So these people are kind of sitting at desks most of the time putting out fires. And what I had suggested to this particular organization is, why don't you give each one of your administrators a budget, $500 a year, I don't know, maybe $250 a year, whatever it is for them to be able to go, okay, I have under my control an opportunity to be able to delight somebody um, when I deem it possible. So essentially what I'm suggesting is that as a, as a leader, possibly think about how you might be able to give your employees free reign to delight people. That is so important. You see that time and time again, when you go up to a counter and they say, I'm sorry, I just don't have the authority to make that decision or to help here. And you're just like, it's so simple. You know, It's a no brainer. Just make it happen. Well, I love what you've shared with us. It is time though, to think like a journalist. You've hired Sherry to help an ailing company. It's about to financially collapse. It's reputation shot. Sherry, you have a month, a $1,000 budget, a smartphone and a laptop. How do you begin to turn this company around? I'm a very big believer in, in the more that I give, the more I will get. And I've been thinking about this for a while, ever since I listened to your podcast to, to kind of prepare for this and also looked at, you know, how, by the way, Behind all this wonderful podcastness that you are listening to is a lot of organizational genius. <laughs> so I don't know if you get enough kudos for that, Thank but you're you. like, you obviously are totally like a journalist because you've got everything mapped out. Anyway, I've been thinking about this a lot and here's what I would do because I think back to as an example where I was and what was really hard for me as a business owner going, I got to turn this ship around. And one of the, one of the best ways you can feel better is by doing better. So I would take that $1,000 and I would think about how I'm going to divide that up into my one month left and I would start to pay it forward to a bunch of different people. It have to be brand it would have to be on brand. But I would try to think about how I might be able to do some pay it forward kind of a things and I would start to write about what I was doing. Because <clears throat> there's two things. One the act of giving makes you feel better and witnessing the act of giving makes other feels other people feel better. And if what I'm thinking about is that your brand reputation is shot, one of the best ways that you can start to kind of build back your brand reputation is by showing um, how you care for other people and those around you. That's what I would do. What is one piece of technology, video, multimedia equipment, or an app that you just can't live without? I would say my Fitbit, but I have since let go of my Fitbit and now I am an Apple watch freak. Um, <laughs> and I'll tell it. you why, cause I walk, I walk and, and I, you know, I walk and walk and walk this morning was only three miles. Um, usually it's five miles, but the thing that my Apple watch does that's different from my Fitbit and I'm geek, I know is, is that my Apple watch measures exertion. So Fitbits just count, um, at least the one I had counted steps and, possibly um, stairs. But what I like about my Apple watch is it counts exertion. And I find myself working a little bit harder every day. I'm I'm a fanatic. I am as well right there with you. One book, documentary, blog, podcast or internet channel you want to recommend? 
I am right now on this whole point about carrying the competition. I'm right now listening to a book by Chip and Dan Heath called The Power of Moments. And if people are wondering, gee, golly, I don't even know what this whole one thing is. What's a welcome? Da, 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 da. It's really inspiring. Very inspiring. Um, it's called The Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath. Expert predictions. The year is 2025. We are now closing in on that rapidly. Give us a look at how important customer service is going to be in 2025 and leave us with some parting advice to build a competitive advantage. Well, I think that the age of individual broadcast journalists is starting to happen. And what I mean by that is, is that everyone's got a smartphone. Everyone has a platform and millennials know how to use that platform. So I really do think that companies need to begin to look at this is why I'm kind of preaching this whole experience and out carrying the competition. I really think it gets down to the fact that we need to look at customer experience and need to regularly redesign our customer experience because if we don't, we're not going to be competitive at all. That is indeed true. And I think even though things are becoming more automated, there will always be a place for customer service and the customer experience. And for that matter, looking at you know your user interface, I consider that part of the customer experience in a big way. Um, mm -hmm. and that needs to be redesigned by many, many brands. Um, if they were to just go through the process themselves, they'd see it, right? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I uh, just recently rehabbed my website because shame on me. I didn't have a call to action on my front page. What? Yeah, we all make these mistakes. <laughs> right, right. That's the point of testing your website and having somebody independently do that in brand journalism community in past episodes. You can go through them at thinklikeajournalist.com. We've talked about this. It's sort of that, you know, those heat maps and uh, various ways to test your website and get a perspective from somebody else. Um, I do encourage you to look at who you're using to test it because sometimes they just put... I don't know, really random people in and then you get, I, I don't feel, um, you know, really accurate data. So you do have to watch out for that. But it's important to, to look around and look at how your site works on your iPhone or your smartphone. Um, just really important to check that as well. That is part of the customer experience. Sherry, mm -hmm. thanks so much. You've shared valuable information. Appreciate you being on the Brand Journalism Advantage. It's been great. And, you know, I have now I have another favorite podcast on my phone, too. <laughs> awesome. Thanks <laughs> yes, so much. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, Brand Journalism community, you know that you can find all the valuable information in the show notes. All you have to do is head on over to thinklikeajournalist.com and in the search box, type in 421. And this interview and the resources mentioned in this episode will pop right up. Subscribe to the Brand Journalism Advantage podcast and be the media. Now, go think like a journalist.